you know, <clears throat> Easter is probably the only Christian holiday that we know exactly when it took place. And we know it not because of the calendar that was created in the Christian world after the birth of Jesus, but we know it because of the Hebrew calendar and what happened, how they dated things, and the feasts that they celebrated. Christmas is heavily influenced by someone's decision when to do it. Jesus was really probably born in the spring, not in the winter. But Easter, we know exactly because it coincided with the Hebrew calendar. And the morning, the Sunday that Jesus was resurrected, a priest walked out into a field that they had planted weeks before and notice the sprouts breaking through the ground. And that was the feast of first fruits. The scripture tells us that Jesus was our first fruit, was the Father's first fruit. And at, what a wonderful picture that at the same time the harvest was coming forth, Jesus was coming forth out of the grave breaking forth of the bondage of what it had held. And we've been talking about the law for the last several weeks. And the law, it's hard for us to imagine how pervasive the influence of the law is in our life. And we don't, a lot of times we don't even recognize it. It, it takes place in in pretty much everything that we have done in Christianity is seen through the eyes of the law. The holidays, we have a strong influence by the law of what we're supposed to do. Even things that aren't written as law, it's law. We've kind of forgotten why. You heard the story about uh, every Easter Whenever the mother would cook a ham, she would cut the end off the ham. No matter how size it was, she would just cut it off. And her daughter asked her, well, why'd you do that? And she thought a minute and she said, I've always done that. My mother did that. Well, why did she do that? Well, I don't know. Let's call her. So they called her and said, why'd you cut off the ham? I don't really know. I just always did that. She called her mother and so forth and so forth. And when it originated, the mother said, my pan was too big, too small. And so it just was a tradition that was handed down. No reason why. The purpose had long since been forgotten. The practicality of it was long forgotten. And we do it by rote. You just Cut the end of that ham off. Doesn't matter how big it is. It's very easy to do that with the law where Easter is concerned. 
it's very easy to draw our sense of obligation, whatever you want to call it, our sense of respect, our sense of uh, commitment, based strictly on an event that took place 2,000 years ago. And we just do it by rote. This is what we do. What we do. We've done it with the Lord's Supper. This is what we do. Why do we do it? I'm not really sure. We just have always, and you know the seven last words of a dying church. We've always done it this way before. And I want to try to apply some maybe insight into Easter and how the law has influenced it, okay? And let me just start by saying this. The law is like tombstones in a cemetery. Okay? You go to a cemetery and you find the tombstone that you're looking for, and what does it do? It gives you information about who's buried there, who they were, when they were born, when they died, and there may be a little bit of information on there about that person. I, I, it's interesting, I looked up tombstones this week and some of the things people put on there. Uh, one woman put her chocolate chip cookie recipe on there. And uh, one guy put on there, I told you I was sick. And another guy said, it's really dark down here. And so you go and you look and you find in, in that tombstone, there's a little bit of information. It may tell you when they were born, when they died. Maybe a little about who they are, what their interests were, what the things were that they liked. You see, you know, tennis rackets and rifles and fishing tackle and all kinds of things like that. But what it does not do is it does not introduce you to the person that's buried there. Because they are buried there. And it's not there by way of an introduction. It is simply there by way of history. The law tells you, this person is here. These are the facts. These are the realities. This is the truth. This is the information you need about this person. And the way we have done with, with not only Easter, but many of the holidays, we, we do it unintentionally. We look at Easter and we say, okay, we need to celebrate Easter. What do we mean by that? We need to do something that looks like a celebration in memory of something that happened 2,000 years ago. Okay? And that's what we typically do. We celebrate what happened 2,000 years ago. But we don't understand that in doing that many times, it's just like reading a tombstone. It's like going back and reading the history. Yes, Jesus died. Yes, Jesus uh, was buried. Yes, Jesus rose from the grave. Yes, he did these things. Yes, those are facts of information. And now we have to do something in honor to honor that, in order to celebrate that. But in doing that, we miss the whole heart 
of what Easter is. The law tells you someone died and was buried for you. It tells you a little bit about their life, what is expected of you to do in honor of that life. It may even tell you how to live up to that expectations. But it never provides a means to know the one that you're celebrating. It's just all celebrating an historical event which misses the whole point of resurrection. He didn't, it would be like this. Bear with my morbidity a little bit, okay? It would be like this. Someone you love that died a year ago. And one morning you get news, every week for a year you go back to the cemetery and you remember them and you recall them and you bring flowers and you, you read the headstone and you, and you just, you reminisce about them being there. But one morning you get, wrote, get word that it's, the tomb is empty. But we continue to go back to the tomb and celebrate where they were instead of enjoying the living presence of them being alive. Does that make any sense? That's kind of the way it is. We, we remember all those facts. We remember that history, but that's not the point. Jesus didn't rise from the grave in order for us to remember all the things that he did. He rose from the grave that he might live in us and we might have fellowship with him today because of his rising. But the law says, that's all you got to do. And listen, there are people that for decades will literally be faithful and loyal to celebrate Easter and never meet the one who rose. And that's sad. Listen. No, never mind, I won't go there. We celebrate his life. We celebrate his death. And for all practical purposes, but for all practical purposes, he's still dead. He's missing. He's absent. When the truth of the matter is, he lives right here. Grace is an empty tomb. The law is the tombstone. Grace is an empty tomb that says we can know him personally. The one who was there, because he is alive, not only is alive, but he lives within us to tell us what to do and to empower us to do what he tells us to do. And that's a relationship. That's the reality of Easter. Now, it begs the question, I asked myself this, thing, this question the other day. Where did I find out about the one who was in the tomb? Where did I get my information about the one who was in the tomb? Did I read it about him on a tombstone that merely records history? Or what it is like when he lived, when he died, and when it rose? 
or did I get it from him personally? Did the reality of his resurrection present in my life? He says he rose from the grave that we might walk in newness of life. Not that we would just recall the event, but that we would experience his presence and that be a brand new life to us. We have a resurrection because he rose if we know him and walk in that. The law, the tombstone, just tells us who he was and what he did. Grace lets me know him personally because he really is alive. We go to the law to find out about a person. We go to grace to know the person. That's so cool. You may it not be cool to you, but that's cool to me. I'm telling you, the law, what the law had done for me for years is made me try so hard to do it, to keep it. And when I did, it kind of gave me the permission to judge you when you didn't keep it. Because I keep it. Why don't you keep it? Yeah, but they do this. Yeah, but I do that. See? Grace says, the tomb is empty, Jack. There's nobody there. He lives inside of me. And I didn't have anything to do with it. It was all him. So I can't brag about what I've accomplished. I can't judge you for what you haven't accomplished. Because none of us accomplish any of it. It's because there is an empty tomb. There is an empty grave. That's why, and Tom said it this morning, that's why the angel showed up and said, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? If Jesus is alive, why are you in a cemetery? Why aren't you where he is? Instead of back here reading the tombstones. Instead of back here reading the epitaphs. Instead of back here reading who he was and what he did. You can know now who he is and what he is doing now. Why are you so enamored with the historical Christ when you can know personally the living Christ? Now, that's a good question. And it's time that we as a body and we as Christendom as a whole, yes, it was great. Yes, it was wonderful. But that only served to facilitate what we can experience now. Don't be enamored with the past and ignore the present. Don't be enamored with the history and ignore his presence here with us. That's what the resurrection did. It made it possible for us to know him personally in a relationship and not only know what he wants us to do, but he empowers us to do what he wants to do. It's no longer self-effort. It's no longer just roll up your sleeve, grit your teeth, grin and bear it, and get it done. It's no longer pretend. Because he is alive and lives in me. The resurrection facilitated that. And that's great to acknowledge that. 
Because if we didn't acknowledge that, we probably wouldn't realize his presence now. But don't stop here. Don't just, and and all the trappings we've put in Easter, all the things we've, you know, and what we've done it with all of them, you know, in in our eagerness to incorporate the world, we've embraced some worldly traditions. Don't miss the reality that he rose. Yes, he did. And that's a great event. But he rose to live in us that we might have fellowship with him now. And if that's not reality in our life, Easter is just another law that we keep. It's just more information that we follow. Isn't that good? And I, I like that. I don't know about you, but I, I, that just blessed my heart that the law was just the tombstone. It just tells us about him, tells us what to expect, but it doesn't empower us to do it. Jesus is alive. He came to live inside of us. What, he, what did we study last time? He came to teach us. He came to comfort us. And he does that from the inside out. He doesn't do it by our brain trying to remember what he did. He does it by our spirit, by experiencing him here in us daily as he teaches us and comforts us. All right? All right. Any questions? What'd you hear? What'd you see? What'd you smell? I don't know. What do it? Anyone? Hey, good deal. Let's go eat. Uh, Alex. Um, I think one of the lies that the enemy wants to present to us is once we have made that decision or seek to find it, rather, that it's just done. Mm -hmm. But I think relationship means there's constant growth. There's constant growing. And that's not a bad thing. When the Lord finds those things that make you go, just let it work it out um, and continue to pursue it. I think for a while there, I was letting the enemy just uh, have something, mm-hmm. you know, and not fully give it away. And it's okay if, if it takes time, but put God in it because he's going to chase it down. I don't think there's no halfway playing with it. He's going to chase it down and uh, thank you. It's grace that chases it down. Right. It's love that chases it down. So, uh, yeah, don't, get, don't give uh, the enemy any foothold or power. Just let it, let it go and let God. Yeah. Now, salvation is the end to Carissa. But it's the front end, not the back end. It's just the beginning. I feel like that whole thing, like, I have a novel of notes because. Put it up closer. That's the better. There you go. <laughs> um, I, ever since I started coming here, it's always been preached relationship over religion and not to listen to the laws in particular. And um, I find that, like, lately very hard as I'm growing closer and, like, studying and, like, doing all things. And I've asked you a ton of questions. I'm like, what does this even mean? And having to realize that, like, everything in the Bible has a personal revelation. So, like, that's the importance of it's not just reading my Bible and getting those informations and getting that law and being like, okay, this is how I'm supposed to act. But praying over and being like, okay, God, like, what am I, what am I supposed to be learning from this? And um, hearing that, like, whenever you related it to someone personal in our lives, 
that have passed away. Um, and just going back to that gravestone and being like, I'm spending time focusing on their past and like the, the textbook definition of who they are in their life rather than being able to enjoy their presence there. And it's like, I do that with my grandfather all the time as I just go back and I look and I look and look. And I've started doing that with Jesus where it's like, Jesus resurrected, Jesus is back even though my grandfather couldn't. And that's Jesus' thing. That kind of sounds weird, but you know what I mean? And I don't know. That was a big revelation today that like it doesn't have to be textbook and that whenever you said that like just because I follow the laws that does not give me permission right. to judge other people for not following the laws because That's I right. work in grace not in the laws of the scripture. That's good. That's good. See we can make the Bible a tombstone. We can go to it and read it but it doesn't empower us to do it. But if we go to it in his presence say Father now what does this mean? Show me how this applies to my life and allow him to speak it to us and quicken it to us. Then it becomes life, light in our life. Anyone else? A few weeks ago, I was watching the news and they interviewed this couple that had been married for 86 years. And uh, they said what they normally say to people, what's your secret? And uh, they said, well, what we really celebrate today is the last 365 days. This date, they celebrate the year that they've had together. They remember the date and they remember the pictures of when they got married. But what they celebrate now is a relationship that they've had that they think back on that was the last 365 days. And it's like, now we get to celebrate it today. This is actually that day. So they got to the point after 86 years, it's like, we celebrate every day that we have. So anyway, I thought that was a cool story. Now, the older you get, the more you'll find out that's practical. I got up this morning. Hallelujah. Anyone else? All right. Have a good day. Uh, Here we go. So I just got to share something that stuck out this week. It's reading in Samuel, which is a, what, a part of what we call the law sometimes. And, um, but as, as a part of the revelation of God, it just, it just, you know, the verses that you gave us last week for homework, they were all about in the New Testament. Um, this is what we heard, or this is what was said, or this is what we read, but it's about the revelation, right? Paul said, right. this is what was revealed to me. By Jesus. Um, so I was reading Samuel, and it just, it just struck me that this is the way it's always been. This wasn't new. That's right. It's always been, you know the Lord through personal revelation and through revelation only. Um, Hannah dedicated her son Samuel to the Lord. And then, after he was born and he went to live with the priest Eli, he ministered to the Lord in the house of the Lord. And in Samuel 3 it says, So the, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. 
and there was no frequent vision. So several verses down, it makes this comment that stuck out to me. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Mm. He was dedicated by his mom. He lived in the priest's house, and it said he did ministry. He ministered to the Lord. He did what the law said, but he didn't yet know him because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Even then, it was revelation. And through that revelation that came in this next chapter, when the Lord called out to him and he responded, he heard it and responded. And that's what started his, his life of, of prophecy and of, um, of bringing other people into the knowledge of the Lord. That's so it just good. struck me that that's the way it's always been. That's exactly right. It's always, God has always wanted relationship. Even when he gave the law, he wanted relationship. Even when he gave a king, he said, I'm, I'm going to give you this king, but I don't want to give him to you. Because you're using this king to replace my relationship with you. It's always about that. All right, anyone else? All right. Have a good day. You're dismissed.